Thank you, Jordan, and thank you for being back this afternoon. Appreciate so much you coming back. We know that it's a choice that you make, and we are very grateful that you've made the choice to come back to worship God. If you're visiting, as always, we encourage you to come back. We're so grateful that you have come our way. We're thankful for those who have joined hands with us. We pray that God will bless them as we work together in this location. We're looking at 1 John chapter 5 in our study this afternoon, and the theme of our study this afternoon, confidence as a believer. I want to begin our study today by asking you this question. How confident are you in your relationship to the Lord? Now let me follow that up with another question. Why did you become a Christian? What was the catalyst for you choosing to become a follower of the Lord? Now there are probably any number of things that, any number of responses, but I suspect that in that process of deciding to become a follower of the Lord, that we recognized the problem of sin. In other words, we were convinced that we were living in sin. We understand the consequences of sin. As Paul said in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. And so that motivated us to become a child of God. And so there is this sense of conviction. But I want to ask, the flip side of that is... How convinced are you that you're saved? How convicted are you that you belong to the Lord? That's what I want to talk about this afternoon in our study as we think about the confidence that we ought to have as a believer in Christ. Now before we begin our study today, I want to preface our lesson by encouraging you to maybe take some notes Run the scripture references. And if you lack confidence as a believer, by all means go back and watch the lesson again or listen to the lesson again. It might be that you want to access the notes. Go back and go over those notes because I really believe that God wants us to be confident in our relationship to Christ. And so that being the case, Let's look at what John said in 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 11, to understand that John is writing to Christians in the first century. One of the keys to understanding this book is knowledge. We can know that we have a relationship with the Lord, which ought to breed security in our life. Now, the first thing that I want to call your attention to in our study, the place of eternal life. The place of eternal life is Christ. John said, this is the record or this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and this life is in His Son. So as we think about the place of eternal life, to understand the place is Christ. Now, that says something about the person who provides us with spiritual life 
or the one who makes eternal life available to those of us who belong to the human family. You remember Jesus in John chapter 10 said, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. He went on to say, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. In John chapter 14, it was Jesus again who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. And the idea is that Jesus Christ is the one that makes it possible for us to enjoy fellowship with the Father. And then, of course, in Acts chapter 4, at verse 12, when the apostles said, Neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Salvation is a result of the finished work of Jesus on Calvary. Now that being said, the fact that Jesus Christ affords us eternal life is significant. To understand that the Lord not only affords us eternal life, but He wants us to enjoy eternal life. So John is writing, and he said, This is the testimony, this is the record, that God has given to us eternal life. Again, think about who he's writing to. He's writing to Christians. And this life is in His Son. So on the one hand, you have the person of eternal life. But then secondly, again, the place of eternal life. Now listen again to what John said. This is a record, this is a testimony. That God has given us eternal life and this life is in His Son. He who has a Son has life. All right. If Jesus is the one who affords us life, if He is the one that has made it possible for us to enjoy spiritual blessings, to understand that there is only one designated place where eternal life resides, and that's in Christ. Now, I know that you're familiar with 2 Timothy chapter 2 at verse 10. When Paul, in writing to Timothy in his final letter, said, Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus, with eternal glory. You remember in Ephesians 1, at verse 7, Paul said, In Him, that is, in Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. So salvation is located in one exclusive place. That's Christ. And not just in Christ, but I would add salvation is in the church of Christ. That is the church that belongs to Christ. Now I want to maybe spend some time and talk about that concept. The second, I think, very important point that we want to make Number one, the place of eternal life. That's Christ. Number two, the people who have eternal life. Now we're talking about Christians. The word Christian, if you were to remove the suffix I-A-N and then to look 
that suffix up in the dictionary, what it would tell you is it means belonging to. So when we identify as a Christian, what we're saying is we belong to Christ. So you have Christ and then the suffix I-A-N. As a Christian, I belong to whom? I belong to the Lord. Now you remember in Hebrews chapter 12 at verse 23, when the writer said to the general assembly and church of the firstborn. Now back in Exodus chapter 13 verse 2, God said to Moses in the long ago, sanctify to me or consecrate to me the firstborn. Whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, whether man or beast, God said, it is mine. As a member of the church, we belong to the Lord, don't we? So in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul said, Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which you have from God. He said, you're not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, listen to him, which are God's. So we belong to God. All right, now here's a question. What did you do to become a child of God? What did I do to become a Christian? Number one, there is the call of the gospel, the instrument through which God reaches the human family is the gospel of Christ. That's why Paul would write in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul said that we have been called through the gospel to the obtaining of glory in Christ Jesus. You can't separate Scripture from salvation. That's why Paul said, God's desire is that all men be saved, listen to him, and come to the knowledge of the truth. In John 8, verse 32, Jesus said, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. From what? From sin. From sin and death. Because as Paul said, the wages of sin is death, the gift of God, eternal life in Christ Jesus. There is the call of the gospel, but then secondly, we are cleansed by the gospel. Now John is writing to Christians, people that had obeyed the gospel of Christ. The Bible identifies for us only one plan of salvation. Only one. God makes Christians by the gospel. Well, what does that mean? In Ephesians 1.13, Paul said, In whom you also believed, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. The gospel, again, that instrument by which, through which God calls the human family. So when I obey the gospel, what then am I promised? You remember in Colossians 2 at verse 13? When Paul said, and you who were dead, they had been dead in sin, the uncircumcision of their flesh. But he said, now God has made you alive, listen to him, having forgiven you all, A-L-L, your trespasses. When Peter preached the gospel on Pentecost Day, those people were convicted of sin. That's what 
Luke said in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, they were cut to the heart, pricked. God's Word did what the Lord said it would do, convict people of sin. All right, that being the case, when they cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said, number one, you need to repent. Number two, you need to be baptized so that your sins can be remitted or forgiven. Well, when does that occur? When we obey the gospel. When we submit to the teaching of the Lord, then we enjoy the forgiveness of sins. Now again, in Ephesians 1 verse 7, when Paul said, In Him, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Here's my question. When you obeyed the gospel, how many of your sins did God forgive? All. Paul said, having forgiven you all, A-L-L. It's very important. One of the real problems that we have sometimes is that we fail to understand what the Bible teaches regarding forgiveness. And we bear a load of guilt on a daily basis because number one, we haven't accepted what the Lord said. And number two, we haven't learned to forgive ourselves. Now I want you to listen again to what the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12. I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. Now, I mentioned a moment ago, Sometimes it's very difficult for us to learn to forgive ourselves. You know, one of the great things about David, David was a man after God's own heart, wasn't he? Let me tell you what I really admire about David, is he was honest. He was honest and transparent in terms of what he had done. He didn't try to flip the script. He didn't try to blame somebody else. didn't try to blame Bathsheba. Or Uriah? No, David said, I have sinned. That's what the record says. Now in Psalm 51, I want you to listen to what David said. My sin is ever before me. Are there things in your life that you will never be able to purge from your memory? The answer is yes. There are things that I did in younger days. I'm not proud of. I was taught better. But the fact of the matter is, I did those things. Now, I can't purge from my memory some of the things that I have done in the past. But I know this, that when God says He will forgive, He means it. He forgives. Imagine if you can, picking up a 25-pound dumbbell tomorrow morning. And wherever you went, you had to carry that dumbbell, that dumbbell around. Then the next day, you pick up a 30-pound dumbbell. The following day, a 35-pound dumbbell. Wherever you go, you've got to carry that weight. 
Now, over a period of time, that weight would become very difficult for you to manage, right? If we don't learn to forgive ourselves and if we don't learn to understand what the Bible teaches concerning forgiveness, we're going to carry a terrible weight around every day. Remember what the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 12? Laying aside every weight and the sin which so easily besets us. Are there times, again, when it's very difficult for us to purge the past, to forget the past, and move on? The answer is yes. Look, Paul didn't forget his life as a Jew. He said, forgetting those things that are behind, reaching forward to those things which are before. That didn't mean that he was able to blot those things out of his memory bank. Those memories can be seared into the mind. But to understand that when God says, I forgive you, He means that. And that means when we obey the gospel, whatever sins we committed in the past, they are, they are just that they're in the past. The second thing is, as a child of God, I have God's second law of pardon. That's why in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, John said, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to cleanse us from all, A-L-L, -L, unrighteousness. That means as a child of God, if we stumble and fall, when we recognize that we made a mistake in our life, then the remedy is, number one, we repent. Number two, we pray. We confess it. And number three, what God said is, when you do that, what will I do for you? I will forgive you. Are there things in your life as a Christian that you have done as a Christian that you're not proud of? Are there things that you've done and you look back and you think, boy, I really made a mess of that. All right, did you acknowledge it? Did you repent of it? If you acknowledged it and you repented of it, then what did God say He would do for you? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to do what? To forgive us our sins. To cleanse us from all, A-L-L, -L, unrighteousness. So we are, number one, called by the gospel. Number two, cleansed by the gospel. And number three, Let's just talk for a moment or two about our change as a result of the gospel. One of the prerequisites to becoming a child of God is repentance. As a child of God, in order to enjoy forgiveness, again, repentance is commanded, isn't it? When those in Corinth obeyed the gospel... And you remember Paul talked about their sordid past in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul spent 18 months among those people preaching the Word of God. And the Bible says that many of the Corinthians hearing, believed, and were baptized. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 at verse 9, Paul said, Know you not, the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, 
homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. But now note, and such were some of you. What does that mean? When he said, and such, such were some of you. He said, but you were washed. You were sanctified. In other words, God set you apart for himself. And you were justified. Those people that lived in Corinth, that had at one time been thieves, could they continue that practice? Couldn't do it, could they? What about those who had a problem with alcohol, who were drunkards? Could they continue to live that way? Well, why? Because they died to that way of life. Because they gave up a life of sin. When we talk about dying to the love and practice of sin, that's what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 6. Know ye not that all we who are baptized into Christ were baptized into His death. When you repent of your sins and die to that old way of life, the Bible says that you rise to walk in newness of life. Now what that says is our conduct changes as a result of the gospel message, doesn't it? That's why in 1 John chapter 3, John writes extensively about the Christian life and the fact that those of us who belong to God, we have put that old way of life, that old man, to death. When Paul wrote his second letter to the church at Corinth, remember what he said over in verse 17, chapter 5? If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. When Paul was trying to kill those who were followers of the way, was he right or wrong? He was wrong, wasn't he? He thought he was doing what was right. And Paul had to drag that memory around with him until he died. When he wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he talked about how he had been a persecutor, a blasphemer. He had been an insolent or haughty man, but he said, I did it ignorantly in unbelief. All right, Paul, you obeyed the gospel. You're a new creation. You can't continue to persecute those who follow the way anymore. Now your job is to live the Christian life. In other words, you are to live a life of consecration. And that's the goal today. So in 1 John chapter 3, John said, Let no man deceive you. He who practices righteousness is he. He who practices righteousness is righteous. Down in about verse 9, John said, Whoever has been born of God does not sin. His seed remains in him. He cannot sin. Why? Because he has been born of God. Now look. John is not saying when you became a Christian that you will never again have to deal with the problem of temptation and the aftermath of sin. The fact of the matter is, no one is perfect. The only perfect being that I know of was Jesus. And so John said in 1 John chapter 3, 
For this purpose He was manifested. For what reason? To destroy the works of the devil. He prefaced that by saying, He who sins is of the devil. As a child of God, we can't continue to live like we did prior to obeying the gospel. That's the point. That's what John is saying. That old way of life, that old person that at one time characterized how you live day in and day out, that old life is gone. Now here's the problem. Sometimes we want to bring the world into the church. We fail to put to death that old man. That's why John said, love not the world, neither the things which are in the world. Now, the devil can use the world to tempt us, ultimately to destroy our faith. We understand that as Christians, we're at war against the world. But we also understand that as a child of God, we've been cleansed, we've been changed, and our conduct is completely different. If somebody obeyed the gospel, Let's say they just love to party. And they're out hitting the bars and doing this and that and drinking and whatever. And they obeyed the gospel and then a few nights later they went back to the bar and sat down, drank, went back to that lifestyle. Would you say that they had changed their mode of living? No. When we obey the gospel, that old life has to be put to death. You can't carry anything from the world into the Christian life. That's the idea. That's not to say you're not going to stumble and fall. Not to say that maybe some of those old habits that had been a part of your way of life for years aren't going to be difficult to sever. But what John is saying is, look, you died to that way of life. As Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. No longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Crucifixion signifies what? Death. God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is this death that takes place. Now there is a third thing I want to share very quickly. And that is the promise of eternal life. And that is the confidence that we ought to have. We ought to live as a confident believer. I need to have confidence in my relationship to the Lord. And I need, I need to understand that what the Scripture says is true, valid. The promises of Scripture. How much do you believe the Bible? If you don't believe the testimony of Scripture, you are going to live a miserable life. There are a lot of folks in the church who one day feel saved, the next day feel lost, the next day they feel saved, the next day they feel lost. Like a yo-yo. Look, that's not security. 
And there are many, many people in the church that because they stumble and fall, their thought process is, I just can't live up to the standard. I try, I try, and yet I fail. All right, that being the case. Understanding that there is a progressive lifestyle here. We're trying to the best of our ability to walk in the light, to walk in harmony with the Word of God. Now, when John said in 1 John chapter 1, if we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, He said, we lie and do not the truth. All he's saying is that, look, if you are out here claiming that you're a child of God and you live like the world, your lifestyle is a contradiction to the teaching of God. You never gave that lifestyle up. Or you went back to it. But if you think that as a child of God you can just live any way you please and do as you please, think as you please, then you're wrong. Now God's grace has the ability to cover sin. And I am grateful for the grace of God. But we cannot make the grace of God do something the Bible doesn't say. And that is, if we're out here living like a rebel, we don't enjoy the grace of God. If we just throw reason to the wind and say, you know what, I don't really care, we're not enjoying His grace. Furthermore, if we begin practicing false doctrine, what if we were to roll the instrument into the services here? You think God's grace is going to cover that? Absolutely not. I can tell you what, he'd sever our relationship. John said, whoever goeth onward, listen to him, and abideth not in the teaching of Christ, has not God. Are there congregations that have rolled the instrument into their services? Yes. Are they in fellowship with God and enjoying the blessings of His grace? Absolutely not. Why? God's grace wasn't intended to cover that. When you step outside the will of God, you put yourself in a very dangerous position. Now, do I need to believe the testimony of Scripture and have confidence in my salvation? Yes. So John said, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of His Son Jesus Christ does what? Cleanses us from all sin. So as a child of God, I'm trying to walk in the light. His blood, His grace is what keeps me in a saved relationship. Progressive action. I'm going onward and I'm abiding in the doctrine of Christ. But if I deviate from that, then I'm in trouble. So what John is saying is, look, as long as we're trying to walk in the light and trying to live in accordance with His will, then we've got confidence. Why? Because we enjoy His blessings. His blood is constantly working in our lives. Now there are some folks that have the idea that you better hope you die with a prayer to God on your lips. That's a miserable way to live, isn't it? I don't believe that's, I don't believe that's biblical. When we recognize that we've made a mistake, when we recognize that we've sinned or slipped up, then 
The process is you confess it, you repent, and you enjoy forgiveness. But as long as I am walking in the light and confessing my sins as I realize those sins, I enjoy the blood of Christ, don't I? Now, what about the testimony of the Savior? You know, John said, These things I have written to you that believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know, K-N-O-W, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Again, we're talking about a progressive lifestyle. Not a one-time thing, but I am continuing to walk in the light. I'm continuing to walk in harmony with the will of God. Now I want you to listen to what Jesus said over in John chapter 10. Now sometimes people use this passage to prove that you can never lose your salvation. I don't believe that's what Jesus is talking about. But I do think what He is saying is that if we abide within His will, we're in good standing. In John chapter 10 at verse 27, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. Now note, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. He said, And my Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Now again, let's just look at the text here. Jesus isn't saying it's impossible for you to lose your salvation. But what He's saying is that if you will follow His teaching, then you have eternal life. Listen to Him again. My sheep hear my voice. They don't just hear it. Jesus said, they hear my voice, I know them, and then look at this statement. And they follow me. As long as you are making a concentrated effort to follow the teaching of Jesus, and you demonstrate a heart of humility, and you acknowledge your wrongdoing, do you bask in the presence of the blood of Christ daily? Yes. Now look, I need God's grace to become a child of God because without His grace, no one would be one of His children. But I also need His grace and mercy as a child of God. And why is that? Because I'm not perfect. Are you? Well, certainly not. So what John is saying is that if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, the blood of His Son, Jesus, cleanses us from all sin. Now I want you to think about this for a moment or two because really the thrust of the lesson hinges upon our confidence that the blood of Christ will do what He said it will do. If you don't believe in the blood of Christ and in the promises of God, you will never, ever feel secure as a Christian. Ever. Many of us have known people in the church that in their latter years have questioned whether or not the Lord will save them. And they live in fear of that. 
They're concerned that somehow, some way, God's not going to take care of them in eternity. Now look, that's a, you talk about a terrible, way, a terrible weight that you are looking eternity in the eyes and you can't say unequivocally, I know, I know that I have eternal life. Isn't that what John said? This is a record, this is a testimony, God's given us eternal life. That life is where? It's in His Son. These things I've written to you that you may know that you have eternal life. Look at Paul. Look, Paul, I mean, you talk about a guy that was doing everything in his power to hurt the name of Jesus. I mean, he, he said, look, I was a persecutor. I was a blasphemer. I threw my weight around. But he said, the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Was Paul perfect? No. Was Peter perfect? No. You remember what Paul said in Galatians chapter 2 when he withstood Peter to his face because he was to be blamed? But listen to Paul in, first, in 2 Timothy chapter 1 in verse 12. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him against that day. Turn over to chapter 4. Paul said, the time of my departure is at hand. I'm already being offered. He said, I fought a good fight. I finished my course or my race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Can I not have that same type of confidence? If God makes a promise to us, do we not have the right, the God-given right, to lay claim to it? So when God says, I have forgiven you, can I then forgive myself and accept the terms of His forgiveness? I hope so. Because if I don't, I can't live a confident life as a believer. Now that being said, one day, whether we like it or not, we're going to leave this world. It may be Jesus comes first. That'd be all right. But at some point in time, we're going to look death in the eyes. And as a buddy of mine told me when he was just weeks away from leaving this world, he said, I have come to believe it is all about trusting that the blood of Christ will do what He said it will do. That's it. If you don't have confidence in the blood of Jesus Christ, you will never feel secure. That blood washes away all of our sins. Now, are there things in our past that we're ashamed of? Probably. Probably. If we had the opportunity, would we do some things differently? I suspect we would. But when you were baptized into Christ, you need to understand, I need to understand, we all need to understand, when we were baptized into Christ, every single sin washed away. You didn't bring any over. They're all gone. And as a child of God who's trying to walk in the light, when you stumble and fall, make a mistake, when you think, how did I do that? How did I say that? 
Why did I go there? And you acknowledge that to God and you repent and say, you know what, I'm going to do better. Then you have the assurance of forgiveness. Now, if that's not your attitude, I don't want you to think that God's happy about that. And you're going to enjoy the blessings of His grace. If you just, again, throw reason to the wind and say, I'll just do as I plead. No, we're not talking about that. There's a difference in a child of God who has a conscientious, gentle heart. And somebody, as Peter said, who forsakes the right way and has gone astray. Complete difference. So I want to close today by encouraging you. You go back and you read the Scriptures. And you look at what God has said. And you realize that God wants you to live a life of confidence. I mentioned David a minute ago in Psalm 51 when David said, My sin is ever before me. You remember he said, Against you, you only have I sinned and done this great wickedness. In that context, though, he said, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And you know, it might be that you're here today and you're a child of God. You obeyed the gospel. And maybe like Peter said, you did forsake the right way and you went astray like the prodigal in the long ago. Did you know that you can enjoy the restoration of salvation in your life once again? Well, how do you do that? Repent, pray, and what's the promise? Forgiveness. We ought to feel confident when we go to bed at night that if the Lord were to take us while we are asleep, that all is well with our soul. Aren't you grateful to serve a God who wants you to feel secure in His arms? If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you need to come to Christ. You can't go to heaven if you're not in Christ. You might be a good person, good neighbor, good mate, a lot of good things. But the only way you can go to heaven is to obey the gospel. When you obey the gospel, when you do what they did 2,000 years ago, what was that? They believed in Christ, repented of their sins, confessed His name, were buried with Him in baptism. They rose to walk in newness of life. God put them in the church. The Bible says that God is the Savior of that divine body. If you're here today and you need to respond to the invitation, won't you do so as we stand and sing?